Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, November 17th, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and the reason we're recording this a little later than normal on Sunday night is because Norlander was at Gamble Pavilion this afternoon for UConn's upset of Florida. Final score, UConn 62, number 15, Florida 59. It's UConn's first win over a ranked team at Gamble since December 2nd, 2013. That was also, coincidentally, a win over a Florida team ranked 15th. Norlander, you were in the building. What's the story? UConn's big win or Florida's second loss to an unranked opponent or both? No, it's Florida losing. That's the that's the story coming off of this. And, yeah, fresh uh, fresh back at home for a few minutes after being there. And uh, glad to be podcasting with you because my Bears look terrible. Um, Florida losing here is is the story. Uh, trivia time right off the bat, Parrish. You may know the answer to this, but maybe not. But I did look it up right before I left Gamble before we got home. So trivia time. Mm-hmm. Florida, pre- ranked in the preseason, now has two losses. A very strong argument that no team was more overrated. Uh, as of two and a half weeks ago than the Florida Gators, but one other team in the preseason AP Top 25 also has two losses. Without looking, can you tell me in 10 seconds or less who that other team is? One other team that was in the preseason. Uh, I, I know one that was in the top 25, and one's already got two losses. That was Dave. That's Davidson. That is correct, but Davidson was not, was in, the not pre- in the AP poll. Was not in the preseason AP. I think you might be able to pull it. It's it's. Easy, relatively easy, but not, uh, but not maybe not too too. I mean, obvious. if I just looked at records right now, I'll be able to pick it out easily. Quick. If you look yeah, at okay. the Ken Palm page right now, you will get it, yeah. and it will not take you long. Uh, Purdue, correct. Purdue is a preseason top twenty-five team. It's the only other one that has two losses at this point. Whereas Florida. Um, had a bad home loss by 12 against Florida State, eked out a win at home against Towson uh, three days ago, and then was offensively horrendous um, on Sunday. Uh, that's really why, to me, Florida kind of takes the cake at this moment right now as the most overrated team heading into the season. Purdue, also 2-2, two and two, um, but it fell by four at home against the Texas team that I think is going to be better than UConn and better than Florida State. And then it lost, understandably, um, on the road against Marquette. Uh, Marquette, by the way, also has uh, two lo- uh, two lo- or uh, one loss, but I'll let Parrish get to that if indeed he wants to. As for the game, um, a couple things here. Uh, I feel duped by Florida. I picked the Gators to make the pre the Final Four in the preseason, and I have a hard time envisioning that coming to light, even if and when Florida turns things around. And the reason why I say that is, um, offensively, the team is clearly challenged. Now, Mike White did tell me afterward that um, you know he thinks that of, uh, thinks that Noah Locke, who now is coming off the bench instead of starting, will will click into gear. Trey Mann, who suffered a concussion in the game. Oh, by the way, just a little bit, of, uh, a little bit of a news peg there. The uh, the former five star prospect and now you know starting starting guard. He uh, he took a pretty bad hit. Mike White actually said he looked like he was out, like he was out cold when Mike went over to look at Trey before he walked off under his own power. Uh, but he's in concussion protocol. It remains to be seen if he'll even be able to play in Florida's Thursday game against St. Joe's. Um, but on the whole, there's a lot of talent here. Obviously, and I think that Florida, yes, can turn into a top three team in the SEC, but I don't know if all of the pieces will click here. I'm not 
overly confident at this point, and here's why, and then I'll give it back to you, Parrish. One, Mike even admitted to me afterward, in terms of the roster he has right now, where these guys collectively project to be as 25-year-old basketball players, this is the most talented team that he has ever had. And I think that's uh, relatively indisputable. Now, he did say, you know, if my team from a few years ago that made the Elite Eight, (laughs) you know, at this point in the season, that team was obviously way better than this one. That was a team that had Chris Chiosa, Casey Hill, Kevon Allen, Devin Robinson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he's never had, you know, projected one and dones and a player regarded as like a top 10 guy in the sport. And that might not be the case with Kerry Blackshear. And so he has got a lot of mouths to feed. Um, and it's just, it's the kind of roster situation that he hasn't had before. He does, he does say that they are, it's a great situation. This team right now, despite the losses, is like he has less concern with them than maybe a year ago when Florida was a little skittish as well. But to me, and we can get to UConn if you want, but to me, the story is definitely a preseason top 10 team in the eyes of plenty. Uh, getting out of the gate 2-2 two and two and averaging 62.5 points through four games, I think Florida's defense will be fine, but I, I'm going to need some convincing going forward that this could actually turn into an offense good and consistent enough that it can make a Final Four. Yeah, so they're number six in the preseason AP poll, number nine in the preseason top 25 and one, number 12 in Kimpon's preseason rating. So um, you can argue that six was too high or, you know, every, but like whether you trust humans, trust computers, everybody had this team in the top 15. And I tweeted after the game, like, there's always a chance AP poll voters were just not paying attention. It happens every week, but... Um, the ones who are paying attention, you can't have Florida on a top 25 ballot uh, when this poll updates on Monday. Not with this resume. Two and two with wins over North Florida and Towson and two losses to unranked teams. And the Towson game was tied mm-hmm. with like 60 second, 67 seconds remaining. And a guy tweeted back at me and he was like, well, Parrish, don't act like you didn't have Florida. Um, you know, I think he used the word anointed as if. <laughs> That even makes sense. Don't act like you had Florida, didn't have Florida anointed in the preseason. I was like, listen, dummy, I'm not criticizing anybody for having Florida ranked high in the preseason. Based on any way any person or computer does such things, Florida should have been ranked high in the preseason. They return some interesting pieces. They get arguably the best grad transfer in the country. They enroll two five-star prospects. Like, that's supposed to be a top 15 team. But they're not playing like it at all. And it would be one thing if they were 2-2 two and two with a Michigan State-like schedule. I mean, there's a scenario where Michigan State could have two losses right now as well, uh, but one of them would be a, a loss to Kentucky, a final-minute loss to Kentucky, and one of them, if it were the second loss, would be a, a, you know, a final-minute loss to a Seton Hall team that I also have in the top 10. Like, that wouldn't necessarily mean Michigan State's not great. It would just mean that, Woo boy, Tom Izzo, again, put his team in some uncomfortable situations early. This ain't that. Uh, One of the losses is a loss at home to an unranked Florida State team that had already lost to Pitt. The other loss is a loss on the road to a UConn team that just lost to St. Joe's. Now, without context, that might not mean anything to you, but Pitt is number 82 at Ken Palm, and that Pitt team beat the Florida State team that Florida couldn't beat. St. Joe's is 199th at Ken Palm, and that team beat the UConn team that Florida could not beat. And so 2-2 two and two with those types of losses, when you have been a favorite in every game, a 6-point favorite against Florida State, a 4-point favorite against Florida, 18-point favorite against Towson, and you're tied with 67 seconds to go, I, I'm with you. The Evans, the, the 
Kentucky's Evansville loss is a worse individual loss mm. for a high-ranked team in this preseason. Yeah. But if we're talking about who's gotten to, off to the worst start, there is no denying it's it's Mike's uh, it's Mike's Florida Gators. And then weirdly enough, um, St. Joe's, which beat UConn, will now play Florida on Thursday, as I mentioned previously in the Charleston Classic. And also, uh, though it is not likely to happen, UConn and Florida are both in that bracket. They'd have to have matching results in their first two games to meet in the third game, so either they'd both have to win to the title game, which is not likely to happen, uh, or they'd have to both lose their first two games, which is not likely to happen, or then you'd have the situation where they both win the first, lose the second, or vice versa, and we'll see. But uh, it'd be weird if Florida and UConn did wind up actually meeting again in less than a week's time. That is obviously a highly uncommon thing, but not unprecedented when it comes to non-conference opponent scheduling. Um, A couple more notes on Florida before we move on uh, to the UConn side of things. Um... Scotty Lewis has ways to go, miles to go in terms of his offensive development. I mean, I heard that from from some scouts I talked to on hand. Um, and even Fran, for, I, I wound up sitting next to uh, our good buddy Andy Katz, and then Fran Fraschilla was sitting next to Andy. And um, Fran was just saying, you know, through the eyes of he's a former coach, obviously, and, and, and looking what was there, he said, Florida's got a lot to figure out here. Um, loves what Scotty Lewis can do. Uh, Andrew Nembard. They put the game in his hands, and Florida was almost able to steal it back near the end. They had to basically run everything through him because, you know, even Blackshear got into foul trouble. And I don't think he got a brutal whistle, but Blackshear historically is not – for the kind of player he is and his style, he's actually very good at not getting into foul trouble. Uh, if you look at what he's been, so that was also um, it's part of you know it's it's part of paying the rent when you go and play on the road overall. Um, but defensively, I, I don't think I have too many issues. I would just wait and see. I mean, Mike White's saying that in practice, you know, the team has looked good, has shot well, and there's obviously a, a glaring difference between practicing what you're seeing there and when you actually have to go out and face these kind of opponents here. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not going to try and overreact too harshly. But you know, through four games. I'm just not seeing a Florida team operating at a level that even if it was uh, even if I had one at UConn, I, I would be giving you the same kind of take here, Paris. I'm just I, I I'm a little reticent going forward. Is all I still like the team, but I'm just telling you right now, if we were to redo our final four picks, I'm just not going to pick Florida to get there. I think they can be a good team. I don't know if they can quite be a great one. I'll be interested to see how the, that rotation works. If Mike White's really going to go nine, ten deep often, or if really he settles into seven, maybe eight guys overall. And one other note with Florida tied to the. The SEC. The SEC is kind of, we're almost two weeks into the season here. Still has some undefeated teams, and we'll get to one of them shortly, but you mentioned that Kentucky has a bad loss. Missouri has taken a loss. Um, understandable one, but lost against Xavier. VCU knocked off LSU. They've got a loss. Alabama is 1-2 and two with losses at home to Penn, and then dropped one relatively understandably, but they didn't look good in doing it. On Friday night, Bama lost at URI. Um, and so... Uh, you've got AM that wasn't able to be- defeat Gonzaga, and you've got Vanderbilt that has also lost uh, against Richmond. So on the whole, the SEC has just been a little bit of a letdown overall. Um, it's not cataclysmic, but the league isn't as strong right off the start as I thought it would be. All right, let's get back to Florida for a second because some of their numbers are just horrific. Effective field goal percentage, 42.6 on the season. That ranks 302nd nationally. Three-point percentage, they were 5 of 20 against UConn. They are shooting 24.1% on the season. That ranks 320th nationally. I mean, they they can't make a shot. And and they've got real – they got maybe three – 
maybe three NBA players and they can't make a a shot. Like, how are you? Let me just ask you this, and then okay. we'll get to UConn. How, how do they get that fixed? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's fixable, but they're playing at an incredibly slow pace, one that ranks 346 in the country, and they cannot make shots around the rim, and they cannot make shots uh, beyond the arc. Uh, the the three-point percentage, again, 24.1. Two-point percentage, 46.0. Like, if you've got Kerry Blackshear, you ought to be better than that, oh, yeah. just based on his presence alone. Like, there's a lot of... This isn't just they're sitting here at two and two. What are you going to do? Even the details of this two and two are really, really bad. Uh, so Mike White talked uh, to me one on one about this, and then at the press conference as well. Uh, I mean, one of the direct quote from him here is he said, "I'm, I'm, I'm going through a trial and error process." Is what he said from a coaching perspective. He said, "We're still learning each other. Um, the freshmen struggling a little bit from the field should never shock anybody, but our other four guys who have got to play with a lot more confidence." He said, "For Blackshear in particular, it's easier for him because he's the grown man on the roster. Of course, he did have the the foul issues, which were a problem. I'm also um, with it. Blackshear's been good, but I am getting." The there more by the game and not believing that Blackshear is going to be a top 10 player in the country. I think the collective college basketball media might have, might have just overrated him just a little uh, bit, um, but they get, they're going to need him to be really, 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 really good. Um, it, it is a bit weird. I mean, White maintains that he has the confidence that the offense is going to show up and be at such a level where they're going to be like a, an elite team, but... Wait and see, because I don't think you're going to get it from like a Scott. Scotty Lewis is a great defender, wiry. Um, but I had one person tell me on on Sunday that like, and who knows if it's going to happen. But for the betterment, unless he does something that no one really sees coming in the next two three months, for the betterment of his long term outlook as a player, like he should be at least two years in college. So I don't know. We'll see. Defensively, we have no issues, but um, I don't think that you know specifically him parish is going to turn around Florida's offense to the level where suddenly it's it's able to run and gone with any team in the country I don't think that's coming all right uh as for UConn so Dan takes over in advance of Dan being Dan Hurley of course takes over in advance of last season they're not good and that's got everything to do with what he inherited not anything to do with him but still like not good 16 and 17 overall they finished 98 at Ken Palm and I I don't know that people were excited coming into the season I I don't believe UConn was projected by anybody to be an NCAA tournament team and then when you lose your second game at home to a St. Joe's team that's not supposed to be good, um, you know, it, it can really rip the enthusiasm. Whatever enthusiasm existed, it can really rip it out of there. And yet, you were in the building. I wasn't, but I watched it on television with my uh, three-year-old. Um, Gamble looked great, sounded great. It looked the way, it, at least on TV, it looked the way it you think it's supposed to look. UConn was making big shots down the stretch. You know, Florida got, like Florida had, a, even though Florida was horrific, they had a chance to win the game, just couldn't make a shot down the stretch. And, um, you, you know, UConn dribble, ends up dribbling out the clock. Is this an indication that maybe UConn's going to look more like UConn? Or, hey, Parrish, don't forget uh, it was just last Wednesday they lost at home to St. Joe's. Right. Um, yeah, the dribble out was kind of weird, by the way. It was almost like Florida had its chance, didn't get it, and then they they didn't like give up, but they weren't like – they are like, Do, are we going to just go through this? Are we going to foul? Like, it was actually a little bit weird, and um, 
uh, Christian Vital, I tweeted this out. I was sitting, I happened to be sitting right next to the ESPN broadcast table with Seth Greenberg and Carl Ravitch. And so, obviously, when you call a game, you, as you well know, doing stuff for CBS Sports Network, you go to shoot arounds, you talk with the coaches and players beforehand. So, Seth Greenberg was around the UConn team this morning. And uh, I would presume uh, Christian Vital told Seth Greenberg that they would be defeating UConn later on in the afternoon. That surely came to pass. Uh, and as the, I don't be- know. Beating, beating Florida, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if the mics picked this up at all, but like the clock runs out. I think Vital's got the ball in his hands and he's looking Greenberg right in the eyes and going, I told you this morning. I told you this morning. And like the crowd's like, you know, all amped up, obviously, the announcer and UConn, all this stuff. Uh, kind of a cool, uh, cool little moment there. The building was on fire, felt great. Um, it was like Gamble most times I go, uh, because usually when I'm going to Gamble, it's for a legitimate opponent. And now the problem with UConn is it actually hasn't had these kinds of opponents in the building, uh, non-conference or in-conference-wise, for the most part, over much of the past four or five seasons. As you mentioned, previous time that they won at Gamble against a ranked team was against Florida. Almost six years ago, it was early December, I was in the building. I was actually sitting almost exactly then as where I was tonight in terms of positioning of press row on the court. And I'll never forget it because it was an unbelievable Shabazz Napier buzzer beater to clinch it. And that was a probably a top five loudest moment of a game I've ever covered. It was just absolutely deafening. And in that moment, it was... I remember it was all about Napier's the next Kemba, and Napier was all about, no, I'm, I just want to be the first and only Shabazz kind of deal. That was a great game. The point I'm making, though, is for UConn to be able to get these kind of opponents in, into its arena again and kind of you know have this be the on-ramp to rejoining the Big East, it is very good for the fan base going forward, very good for morale. Team-wise, Parrish, I don't think that this is an NCAA tournament team this season. I still think that there are plenty of flaws on the roster, and that's fine. It's, it's Hurley's second season. He has had uh, two solid years worth of recruiting, and I think next season you're still going to – you're going to – discover, I think, the kind of player that Hurley likes to recruit, the talent, the work ethic, and all of that. And it will it'll be a combination of what this team has and what he can bring in. What I mean what I mean by that is this, because I was talking with Hurley a little bit one-on-one after, and he, he's proud of the fact that he has gotten, you know, under his player's skin in a good way and that they are doing things on the practice floor in games that um, are emblematic of what Hurley uh, practices and preaches, and they are becoming the kind of players that you know he's taking um, a roster that has that has never won had a winning season, and now who knows they should have a win above 500 season this season. I don't think that they are quite NCAA tournament caliber. One other note from this though, <laughs> um, Hurley said uh, one he ran them harder in practice the previous two days as you might expect. Um, than any any time, other time that since he's been to UConn uh, was harder on himself after the St. Joe's loss, um, like viciously hard. Hurley actually he he really uh, all coaches live and die with this to a certain extent. But Hurley is like he said that he was on the phone with his assistants until like two in the morning after the St. Joe's loss, just like talking through stuff. And then he told me that. He was like he he tried to go to bed and his wife's in the bed and he's having like a one way conversation for 90 minutes with her about the loss. God 
bless uh, Mrs. Hurley. It's not it's remotely surprising. It's how Dan handles these things. He has, he's had even sleep. He said the loss bothered him so much with what his team didn't do. Um, so because of all that, because of that as the lead-up and backdrop to what we saw, Parrish, I thought it was just all the more impressive that UConn, which didn't have a great shooting night or anything, still was able to eke out a win against, again, what might prove to eventually be, again, a top-20-level team. So it was uh, UConn 62, Florida 59. UConn's next game is Thursday against Buffalo, and Florida's next game is Thursday against St. Joe's. Uh Uh-oh. Imagine you can't beat UConn in your next games against the team that just beat UConn. It's a nightmare for Michael White. That would not be. That would be extremely problematic. Uh, But I would. I have to believe. I mean, St. Joe's followed up its UConn win with a uh, a double digit loss against. It was a road game, but still uh, at uh, Loyola Chicago. So I would. I would think that Florida will be in the goods there. And then it's going to play. I don't have the bracket in front of me, but it plays. I think the winner of Miami Missouri State. Um, and, you know, Missouri State made a close game of, of, of Xavier recently. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. There's, I think Florida's just a team to look to keep an eye on among the five or six most closely as we head into the, uh, the mid-November tournaments. All right, let's move it along. George Pappas became a legend forever on Friday night. We're going to get into that hilarious story next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Kansas played Monmouth on Friday night, just a bye game between a good team and a not good team, no big deal. But in the final seconds, it provided a viral moment for college basketball. Kansas is up 55 points, right? Just dribbling out the clock. And that's when my man George Pappas decided to become a legend. Dude is averaging 2.9 points in his career at Monmouth. But he already had 10 against Kansas, so he was hot, and he wanted to get to 12 real bad. So he sneaks, like actually sneaks. It's like he creeps up. <laughs> it's what you say. He creeps up behind KU freshman uh, Tristan Inaruna, steals the ball when he's not looking, takes off down the court, donks, taunts, gets a technical foul. Keep in mind, they're down 55. Donks, taunts, gets a technical foul, and then screams twice. To the crowd, I don't give an F. 
I don't give an F. Our colleague Kyle Boone tweeted the video. So I was coming home from FedEx Forum. We went to see uh, Mike Conley's return game. Mike Conley with the Utah Jazz uh, back inside FedEx Forum as a visitor for the first time. And so I was riding home. My wife was driving. My, my, my little dude's asleep in the back seat. And uh, I see this video. Kyle Boone tweeted it. And I'm like, I'm laughing real tears watching this. It is so great kansas ends up making the technical free throws so they still win by 55 but george pappas was the star he went from somebody i had never heard of to somebody i'll never forget in a span of like a couple of seconds Nordlander, how great of a moment was that inside allen fieldhouse no matter what george pappas does with the rest of his life he'll always have that last second dunk inside allen fieldhouse and i don't give an hell I didn't realize until right now. I mean, I saw the video whenever it it was posted late Friday or whatever, uh, just like you, because I was obviously not watching. I mean, this is the glory of college basketball. I mean, you got garbage time. You never know what we're going to be presented with as podcast fodder. So I was not watching this live, obviously. Kansas wins easily. Um, George, not a starter, by the way. Absolutely (laughs) uh, had led the team in fouls with four. Uh, but also a team high in steals, too, because the second one was necessary for exactly what we were talking about here. And uh, and credit to him for a, a strong night from two-point range, four from five overall. George, take that and run with it. Um, King Rice, his coach at Monmouth, is the kind of guy who doesn't suffer fools at all. And I, I love this. See, I... Uh, I, I'm all for sportsmanship, and I get all that. But can we? It's a blowout. You're in Fog Allen. You're on the floor to close out the game, and you're a D1 scholarship athlete. Okay, the the, the you're still the game is still going on. If someone's gonna allow you to steal the ball from them, and you want to take advantage and throw one down in front of the, one of the best fan bases in the sport, you absolutely do it. Now, if you're the coach, I would assume King Rice is pissed off as hell about this because this is the kind of thing where coaches get easily embarrassed. He's apologizing to Bill Self, whether, you know, privately afterward and all that kind of stuff. So I get it from that perspective. If you're a coach, you don't want your players doing this. I'm not a coach. I don't care. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's awesome. And I, I, I know for as much as I like it, you probably like it five times as more because this is, this is the content that, that Gary Parrish craves. This, yeah. is, this is his cocaine. This is what gets him going more than anything, is the idea of, in any sport, anyone showing exceeding bravado, bravado <laughs> and I don't give an F-ness about it no matter what, like no unwritten rules, no conventions. No, it's when, you, when someone comes, comes in and just wrecks everything, I know that's very much your jam. Okay, let, let me um, disagree with you on one point that might surprise you and then agree in general. Um, you actually don't do this if you're a player. You, you don't. It's, it's one thing if it's a 55-point game and we're still playing. You know, you get those sometimes where the walk-ons are out there for both sides and we're just still playing. We're just running up and down the court and you're trying to get Bradley Calipari an open three or whatever, right? Um, this wasn't that. Everybody stopped playing. You see this all the time in basketball, especially the NBA. Okay, shot clock's off. Game is decided. I've got the ball. I'm no longer playing. You no longer play. It's very much the equivalent of we're taking a knee in football. The game's This is over. So, George Pappas, like, I love that he did it. I would not just be mad at him if I were his coach. I would be mad at him if I were his father. 
I would be oh, mad yeah. of him. I don't think I'd be mad of him if I were his teammate. I think I think it was funny, <laughs> but yeah, you don't. The where I disagree with you is, hey, if they're just going to be lax with the ball, then go get. You don't do that once once the person with the ball has quit playing in a fifty five point game. It is your you. I don't believe you do too much do that because that's how you land on a, a national college basketball podcast that will be heard by tens <laughs> well, of thousands. Yeah, of people. If, if it's. If his goal was that, congratulations. So where I disagree with you is you don't do that. The game you're not playing anymore. Nobody's playing anymore. And it's he didn't just like take the ball in any sort. Of, I'm not exaggerating when I say he snuck up behind him. Like go watch it again. He like sort of creeps. Like like if somebody were holding um a, a, a basketball like a football in their hands and you wanted to pop it loose like um out on the at a tailgate or something and you snuck up behind him and then popped it. That's what he did. He sn- he like took little sneaky steps, and then he took the ball, and then he took off. So I I would be furious if I was his coach. I would be furious if I was his father. I I would not do that if I were a player. But take all that, put it over here. Mm-hmm. It is still the funniest thing in the world to me when it actually happens. How about this? I would I would be mad if I were King Rice. I would think it was hilarious if I were Bill Self. <laughs> like it wouldn't buy and bill to his credit bill was like i don't care like yeah. bill, bill did not care but um i it, it i would not have done it i am so glad he did it and it's not just that he did it in the most ridiculous way and then actually dunked it's that he's the crowd is reacting the way any crowd would react like boo yeah, what are you yeah. doing and he, he turns into a wrestler it. he turns into a wrestler he's like i don't give a f i don't give an f <laughs> Dude, I, I said the way I'm laughing right now is the way I was laughing by myself on Friday night because I came home and then my like my little dude fell asleep on the ride home. I put him in bed and then I just always sit down on my computer just to see if I missed anything. And I just found myself watching it over and over again. I was just laughing harder every because every time I'd watch it, I'd see something new. Like at first, I just saw him grab the ball and dunk. Right. And then the next time I see him, like I, I noticed he actually snuck up behind the guy, which is just funny. And then finally, I realized this dude turned to the crowd and yelled, "I don't give an f!" Twice. Like it was uh, on every <laughs> level. It's the funniest thing. He should not have done it. But once he did it, are we free to laugh about it? I think once he does it, we're free to laugh about it. And it, it reminds me a little bit. There's these little things that happen in sports that you remember. Marshall Henderson, Jersey yes. popping the Auburn fans. Like, you'll never forget that. All-time moment, yes. It's an all-time moment. Marshall Henderson. Now, that was, in a, that was in a – I'm highly positive that was in a win. That, Marshall oh, Hen- sure it was a win. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah, it was a win on the road at Auburn. He, I can still see, like, he's popping the jersey, and then that, that old white man just sort of raises up right in front of him. Yeah, the, and it, I, I, I know it's not him, but the white man, I always think that's, my brain is like, oh, yeah, that's Vern Lundquist that's pissed off at Marshall Henderson right now. <laughs> yes, I can still see that guy's face. Yes. So this was, this was that kind of moment. I won't remember things that happened in Final Fours 10 years from now, but I'll never forget the night George Pappas (laughs) dunked, snuck up behind KU point guard in the final seconds of a 55-point game, stole a ball, dunked, and told the Allen Fieldhouse crowd, I don't give an F. That's an all-timer. The only thing i got to add on this is that uh, Pappas watch is officially on for Monday. Um, Monmouth is at Pitt on Monday. I'm going to set the over-under – I think at five and a half minutes for Pappas. We'll see if King Rice even allows him on the floor. I would, I would think so. Um, but just, uh, yeah. So if I, I, 
don't think it's likely we're to get another Pappas moment. I really would prefer that, but one and three Monmouth will be uh, in its fifth straight road game to start the season, and they go to they go toe to toe with the, with the Panthers on Monday. Keep in mind, I never even heard of this dude before Friday night. Um, I didn't know his name. Like the people were like, "Hey, he's got a name," because I t- actually tweeted this dude, and uh, people were like, "He's got a name, Paris." I'm like, "I don't know his name. How am I supposed to know?" He he averages two point nine points for Monmouth. Like, give me a break. I, yeah. I'm not I, like I guess I'm supposed to be a college basketball expert, but we all got our limits. Like, I don't know anything about George Pappas, and so um, some so I don't I didn't even know his name, but p- then people started telling me his name and told me on Twitter that he deleted his Twitter account oh, right after the game. Because you can't do game. that. You can't you can't say I don't give an f and then delete your Twitter. No, 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 no. That ruins it. You can't uh, uh, like come on. I uh, yeah no. You, I guess he was being overwhelmed by Kansas fans or I don't know. But I feel like once you've done all that, yeah, that is the time to maximize your yes. Twitter presence. Yeah. So that's. Uh, that that was a mistake. You got to lean into it once once you've done what you did, and you've gone viral for the most ridiculous reason in the basketball game. You got to just lean into it, man. Reactive. If he hasn't reactivated that Twitter account yet, he needs to do it because uh, again, that was an all time wild moment. Um, before we get out of here, another big game this weekend. We previewed it on Friday. Um, it was Tennessee, Washington. They ended up playing in Toronto on Saturday afternoon for some reason. Nice performance from Rick Barnes' balls. They led by double digits in the first half. Basically cruised to a 75-62 win over number 20, Washington. Never trailed in the game. Never was tied in the game in the final 37 minutes. Lamonte Turner got 16 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds in 39 minutes. And shouts to... Josiah Jordan James. I mentioned on Friday's podcast that he had done nothing so far this season. Five-star freshman. Um, but he was 4-4 from the field against Washington. Finished with nine points, five assists, and four rebounds. So that's solid. So here's the deal. 24 of the 26 teams I had in the preseason top 25-1 and one were in the preseason AP top 25. One of them that wasn't, I already mentioned, Davidson. The other one was Tennessee. I had the Vols number 19 in the preseason top 25 and 1, but they were unranked in the AP poll. That'll change Monday, I think. Yeah. Tennessee's now 3 and 0, three double digit wins. Um so the Vols lost Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, Jordan Bone from last season's team. That's top 3 scores. Still, they look good. Computers like them. They appear on their way to a third straight NCAA tournament appearance. Norlander, uh, what did you think of Tennessee handling Washington fairly easily? And that's a Washington team that had already beaten a Baylor team that most people project to be top three in the Big 12. Yeah, well, I got this one wrong. You got it right. Um, I had Washington. You had Tennessee. Do I, 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 we, that was the only game we disagreed on on Friday's podcast, correct? Right. I had Tennessee. So you won Tennessee. We both had DePaul. DePaul was able to handle Cornell. We were both wrong. Belmont went in and whipped BC. So we got that wrong. Uh, we got UConn, Florida wrong. And then Seton Hall was able to beat St. Louis. We both took St. Louis. So uh, not not a great weekend <laughs> overall. But let, so, so I went two and three and you went one and four? That, that would be correct. Okay. So uh, we are now equal on the season in terms of our record, which is good. Going into week three, our picks will be Friday. You can look ahead to that. For this game specifically, um, great on Tennessee to get this kind of win in this, and, and so definitively. Um, uh, Rick Barnes is quickly 
if he's not always there in the eyes of many, um, they're going to get to 5-0. and They're going to beat Alabama State, and they're going to beat Chattanooga. Those are both home games. And then they'll play Florida State at the end of the month in, uh, I guess, Niceville, Florida. Um, but the, the program is getting to a point with a, with a quickness, given the coach and the talent that's coming in, where uh, we better start defaulting to Tennessee being – at a certain level within the greater hierarchy of college basketball. And I don't say that just because of what he's done in Tennessee, but for for the March letdowns that he had that were plenty, and I understand the Texas fans got frustrated with that, um, Rick Barnes went to the tournament all but one year that he was at Texas. Mm-hmm. So he is just – it's been decades now where he has clearly proven to be an elite high-level coach, and we shouldn't be totally stunned. I mean, I – we had Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden on our top 101 players. Uh, I am definitely on the East Ponds breakout bandwagon, and he had a great game against Washington. He was arguably right there with, with Josiah, uh, the most important factor in that game. Um, so, yes, very atten- I mentioned earlier as the SEC has had its issues. Tennessee runs counter to that. Tennessee has been the team um, that has just unquestionably looked very, very good in all of its games. It's not only just his 3-0, and uh, beat Astral Hanley, uh, came back and romped on Murray State after an up-and-down first half, and then they were able to beat Washington. Um, as for the Huskies, it's just one loss. It's now got, uh, you know, sometimes coaches will tell you if they've got like a young roster um, and you you take like a kind of a, a rough loss, but there's enough on the schedule and the non-con to kind of help the confidence in getting them steady, It's you know, that can be the right thing. That's what Washington has over the next month. We're talking Maine, Montana, San Diego, South Dakota, Eastern Washington before a big game at home against Gonzaga in December. So I would suspect that the Huskies will get uh, on the straight again. But, yeah, that, the outcome is way more about Tennessee to me. Credit to the Vols. They are very deserving of being top 25 level caliber. And if you told me, Parrish, that we got to the middle of the season in Tennessee – had maintained its status within the top 25, which obviously many teams don't. They drop out, hop back in, drop out. I would totally, I would totally buy it. I can, I can see this team, which gets the benefit of Memphis at home when we don't know if Wiseman will play in that game or not in December. I can see them just kind of holding firm to you know that 15 to 25 ranking in the official polls for the next two months. Um, some more on Rick Barnes. Assuming this team gets to the NCAA tournament, and I think it's a fair assumption, totally reasonable assumption right now, um, he will have appeared in 22 of the past 25 NCAA tournaments as a head coach. We sp- we've spent a lot of time um, over the years talking about the consistency of Mark Few. He's never missed the NCAA tournament as Gonzaga's head coach. Uh, but, but to never to, – to so rarely yeah. have a bad season in the Big 12 all of those years, a league that is widely regarded as one of the best, if not the best conferences year after year after year, and then – it got off to a rough start at Tennessee. It took him till year three to get it going. But in year three, they vastly overachieved. Achieved. Year four, that was last season, they were really good. Uh, ranked number one in the country at one point. And now he's got a team that, yes, should be in the AP Top 25 on Monday. I've got them in Monday morning's updated Top 25 and one seventeenth in the country. So I know that Rick has his yeah. critics. And they're for some of the reasons you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But... When you are putting together a list of the most consistent winners of the past two decades, he's got to be he's got to be on it, and he's got to be on it even if your list is pretty short. Um, 
for reference for our listeners who are checking this out late Sunday or early Monday, you said you got him 17. So just out of curiosity, because I don't know who you have, who is 16 if you've got it in front of you? What team do you have 16 uh, just ahead of Tennessee, and what team do you have 18 just below them? 16 VCU, 17 Tennessee, 18 Arizona. Okay. Um, those all make sense. In that order, I would go Arizona – Oh, man. I think I'd go Arizona, Tennessee, VCU, but obviously relatively close. Arizona has looked fantastic. They romped New Mexico State on Sunday. A shorthanded New Mexico State team, don't get me wrong, but it was like I expected that game to be closer. Arizona has has looked fantastic there, but that's that's fairly reasonable. Does VCU, since you are on top of this every single day, they got the home win over LSU. Do they have another like somewhat notable win, or was it just a case where you had them obviously ranked in the preseason, they haven't lost yet, and given other results, they've just kind of worked their way up? Yeah, a lot of this is still based on the preseason rankings, for better or worse. I don't pretend that, um, you know, like if you were basing it on resumes right now, Ohio State would probably be, Ohio State might have the best resume in the country, Mm. certainly one of them. Um, But they started so low outside of the top 20 for me, I believe, that I've jumped them all the way up to 10. But typically for me, you've got to get a wild win the way Ohio State blew out Villanova to, to really make a significant jump. And so to answer your question, VCU's got that home win over LSU from last Wednesday, which was great, but that's all they got. Uh, the rest of the stuff okay. is St. Francis, North Texas, and Jacksonville State. So um, and they're, they're significantly lower than those other schools at Ken Palm, but I had VCU ranked mm-hmm. you know, in the top 20, I think. I, I guess this is the way I would. I had VCU ahead of Tennessee and Arizona – let me make sure I've got that right. I had VCU ahead of Tennessee and Arizona in the preseason. Yeah. And so VCU is still ahead of Tennessee, Makes Arizona. Sense. That doesn't mean I'm trying to insist that VCU is better than Arizona. It just means that I had them there in the preseason. They've done nothing to deserve to drop. And I acknowledge Arizona has been great, but they don't have a big signature win to push them up like the, like the win Ohio State got last week. Yeah, I got you. Okay, makes sense. Um, all right, man. And as for your, your question about, uh, you know, that, that Memphis-Tennessee game is going to be wild, not only because they both should be in the top 25, but, you know, in-state rivalry, Penny and Rick Barnes do not like each other at all. Um, Grant Williams, <laughs> as weird as this sounds, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield and – Lester Quinones have been going back and forth at each other on Twitter. What? <laughs> Dude, um, I can't. Okay. One of them, I, I don't remember the details, but like Admiral Schofield said something, and then Lester popped off at him and said, Hey, if the, if the Washington Go Go's don't have a game that weekend, you should come on down to Knoxville and watch us. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? He said, If your G League team doesn't oh, have a game. That's brutal. By the way, shouts to Tony O'Reilly because he calls him Wiseman and Theisman because of how Lester wears his shorts, which is an incredible duo nickname because he is uh, n- not bringing the short shorts back because there have been other players who have done it, but I don't know many who have jacked him as high as, uh, as that Wiseman and Theisman. I absolutely love that. And giving G League smack <laughs> to the guys who are already in the league is almost George Pappas-level cocky. No. Oh, oh, how about this? So then – and. So then he starts talking crazy to Grant Williams. So Memphis did this thing at one of its practices or exhibition or something, you know, where everybody's dunking and then they get the ball to Wiseman. And when he goes up to dunk, everybody jumps with him. And then they all come down together. And it's what Tennessee used to do last yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So then Grant Williams tweets the video of it. 
And he's like, oh, it's cool to see the little boys copying yeah. us, um, our little bros copying us. But they got to work on uh, they got to work on getting a little more coordinated. So then Lester Quinones jumps on Twitter talking to an NBA player. Keep in mind, he's been good so far. He's a borderline top 60 recruit. Yeah. Like there's it, the odds are stacked against Lester ever having any type of career close to the one Grant Williams had. Two time SEC player of the year. <laughs> Lester Quinones goes, hey, I appreciate the advice, man. Um, as long as we're talking about things people need to work on. How about your jump shot? <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So that game's going to be wild, yes. and you hope that Wiseman is going to be available for it. And this is the only thing I was trying to say about this. We even got off track. Um, as long as it's a suspension of six games or fewer, yeah. and I suspect we'll find out this week, then he will be available for Knoxville. Anything more, anything more than six games, uh, he's he's going to miss the game. All right. Well, we'll find it. We'll see if we get that update in time for our Wednesday podcast. Obviously, uh, when we find out, you'll. You'll know because we'll be discussing it. And uh, I think that's about it, man. I got this Bears game on DVR. You know what's happened. I don't. I appreciate you not spoiling anything. I'm. Do you want me to? Do you want I me do to not, tell I you? don't. Don't even ask me if I want to know because I don't want that to tip the hand to be like, you don't want to know because now it's, it, you know, it's freaking 20 to nothing. No, I don't want to know. Let me just go edit the podcast, upload the podcast, experience whatever misery awaits me in real time. This will be the last game the Bears play on Sunday Night Football this season. So we actually won't have this weird thing happen where we got to do the pod and I got to pause. And okay, I can't tell you one thing. No, no, I don't want to know. I don't even want to know if your homie Anthony Miller caught a ball. I don't want to know anything. Okay. If you want to tell me something, just don't have it be Bears game related. Okay, well, you know it's Sunday, and that means that we have to pull a comment from the Apple Podcast okay. to shout out somebody who is doing what we asked oh, them to do. Well, you can do that, but I did say I did promise, so read this, but I will give a shout to a UConn team manager named Corey, who uh, apparently UConn has 24 team managers, so they rotate. He was in the student section tonight. He tweeted me during the game. He said, I'm the C in the UConn student section, so I'm looking, I'm looking, and then when I find him, he's like, his eyes are like locked in on me already. He's like pointing at me. He's like, yeah, yeah, right over. So I went over, I said, hey, um, his buddy's a Bears fan. Shout to you if you're listening. And I said, listen, I'm coming over here. I'll give you a shout on the podcast. You have to rate and review five stars. So, Corey, you said you'd do it. You're getting your shout out. Your team got the win. You better come through for us. Trust me, Parrish will be checking. Go ahead. So we told, we told listeners um, – Hey, listen, just please, because it helps us, but it also ensures you'll get the next episode in your phone as soon as Norlander publishes it, like within minutes. So it helps you, too, if you enjoy listening to these podcasts three times a week. So please go subscribe via Apple Podcasts and rate it five stars and leave a nice comment. And I told you, every Sunday I'll find a nice comment and I'll, uh, I'll share it, and that'll be our, our way of shouting uh, the loyal listeners uh, out. So I got one. It's got from it. Dallas Dale. You ready? Dallas Dale. Let's do it. Here's what Dallas Dale wrote in his review of the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast. He said, my rule for sports radio slash sports podcast is that I'll only listen if I learn something and I have fun doing it. This podcast overperforms on both metrics. I frequently find myself with a smile on my face listening that I'm not even aware I have. The guys are super knowledgeable, love the game, but don't take it or themselves overly seriously. That's very, uh, very nice of you, and uh, I believe maybe 50% of it. But regardless, I am very appreciative, and these reviews absolutely help. So thank you. And in Paris, this was a, a good idea for you because it, it gets uh, people eager to review, eager to see if they land on the podcast. 
do what you can. Please do rate and subscribe. Uh, most particularly in Apple Podcasts, but I know a lot of people are not like Apple people. Trust me, you can get this podcast on like 12 different platforms. So if you can rate and review on those, please do that as well. And uh, again, we are here for you at least three times a week. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Dallas Dale. And please... Go subscribe to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast wherever you can, but especially Apple Podcasts. Five stars. Leave a nice comment. Maybe you'll get a shout-out next week. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.